pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News & World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. You're feeling some indigestion after a meal, and then a little chest heaviness. You've, you've even had some painful flu-like symptoms during the week. It's probably nothing, or is it? If you're a woman, you could be having a heart attack and not even realize it. In fact, one in four women will die of heart disease. The chest wall is a common site of pain from rib fractures, bronchitis, and and peptic ulcer disease. So, how do we distinguish the pain of heart attack from other conditions? Our guests today will lead us through the maze and provide some concrete guidance on identifying risks, symptoms, and strategies for a healthy heart. Amy Silverstein was born with a rhythm problem called arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia, also known as ARVD. This led to heart failure and not one but two heart transplants. She's written a book about her unbelievable journey called Sick Girl. We'll talk about the book and her remarkable life. During the show, Dr. Noelle Peterson, Director of Women's Cardiovascular Services at East Carolina Heart Institute, joins us. She'll talk about how we can differentiate the pain of heart disease from other conditions, identify risk factors for chronic chest wall pain, and share the latest in diagnosing, treating, and preventing heart disease. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Millennium Laboratories, My Life Patient Program, and DC2 Healthcare, and The Pain Community. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. Amy Silverstein was living the life of a young, ambitious law student in New York City. At age 24, her life completely changed when she discovered that her heart was failing, and without a transplant, she would die. Let's find out more. Amy, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you. Hello. You're 24 years old and a law student in New York City. Life is great, but something happens. Tell us about it. Yes, life was very good, and I was at a very competitive law school and um, doing very well Mm -hmm. until I uh, felt that it was difficult for me to keep up with my classmates as we walked to school, and I was feeling a fullness in my upper abdomen, so I went to my family doctor in New York, Mm -hmm. and he thought that I was a nervous law student who needed to sort of relax a little, and uh, perhaps salt my food because my my blood pressure was quite low. Okay. Well, did you have the typical chest pain uh, that, for example, radiated to the left or right arm or to the neck or to the jaw? I did not have chest pain, no. It was more feeling of being out of breath and uh, 
just sort of a fullness in, in the chest and abdomen. How long had you been having those symptoms? I think it was probably a couple of weeks, although I do remember hiking over the summer and feeling again that I couldn't keep up with people, but you just think you're sort of out of shape. You do, you do, absolutely. You know, I've had some patients tell me that uh, they feel a constriction or band-like pressure in their chest or their upper abdomen. Did you experience that? Yes, yeah, I would describe it that way too, yes. It was also in the upper abdomen, a feel of a feeling like I had eaten way too much. Right. Amy, what did you think at that time was causing your symptoms? At the time, I, I, had, I had no idea. You know, at 24, nothing was wrong with you. I thought maybe mm-hmm. I had stretched too much or I had a stomach ailment. Or, and that's what my parents thought, too, when I told them about it. Hiatal hernia, something like that. Yeah. I had some nausea as well um, and sort of wrote it off as stomach virus, mm-hmm. you know, that, that I just couldn't get rid of. That's what happens when you're young and you just... It just an illness like this just couldn't be possible. Right. Did you feel like the symptoms then just went away? No, they became more pronounced. And I was back there a month or two later. And then when he listened with his stethoscope, he heard something bad. And he said he lined up tests for me immediately. It was a Friday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And I went from place to place. And he said, you need to do these few tests and walk slowly, he <laughs> said to me. Walk wow. slowly. Wow. And I thought, what? <laughs> you know, what, what could that be? Right. And he sent me for a series of heart tests, echocardiogram and such. And when I got back to his office, he, he had a, a, a sorry face on. Why? He thought it was congestive heart failure, and he thought it must be cardiomyopathy because I couldn't have, you know, clogged arteries at, at 24. So that's how it all began. Yes. You know, and I want to explain cardiomyopathy. Cardiomyopathy is, is a decrease in the ability of the heart muscle to contract, and there can be multiple reasons for that. And, and also, by the way, uh, the pain of angina can be provoked by by things like physical effort, severe emotional stress, and a large meal. And by the way, Amy, you mentioned earlier that your symptoms got worse and that led to going to the doctor. What what did you feel at that time? What was worse? Um, It was more of that feeling of tightness in my upper abdomen. You know, I was having trouble catching my breath as I was walking. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, was, I couldn't even eat. It felt so full. It was like the food wouldn't go down, like there was no place for it to go. Well, at this point, what did the doctors do to help diagnose what was going on? They did a heart biopsy where they went into my neck and took out pieces of my heart. And they believed that they saw evidence of the Coxsackie virus having mm-hmm. attacked my heart. Okay. They thought that, well, that virus will just get better. We'll know more in six months they said. Mm-hmm. So I was monitored over six months and just went precipitously down oh. and wound up in the hospital in the worst way possible, having had a terrible attack of arrhythmia taken by ambulance from Philadelphia to New York City, where I was hospitalized. And they told me I needed a heart transplant. And it was a what? You know, a what? Mm. I had never heard of heart transplants and no one had ever brought that up. I was supposed to get better in six months. Exactly. I think any one of us would be completely shocked to find out that we needed a heart transplant. Uh, so, was it the Coxsackie virus that was attacking your heart? Through the time of my transplant, they said, virus, 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 uh-huh. you know, virus gone awry. And yet when they took my heart out and were able to examine it on autopsy, mm-hmm. they found that I was born with a defect called arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia, right. which I never knew, which doesn't really show up on tests or didn't at that time with the tests they had available 26 years ago. And um, I was destined to to develop what I did. In fact, that's the kind of thing where, uh, you know, a 15-year-old will run up a hill or a 10-year-old will run up a hill and 
die, yeah. you know, um, because their hearts just give out. So I was lucky that I made it to 24. Very, very lucky. And Amy, give us a quick primer on arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia. What is it? From what I know of it, in, a, in layperson's terms, it's the right side of the heart. Uh, the muscle becomes uh, displaced by fibro fatty material, mm-hmm. and the heart becomes flaccid and uh Instead of looking like a rounded muscle, it's a flat pancake with um, fatty material in there instead of muscle. Mm -hmm. And they said my heart indeed was a pancake when they took it out. Yeah, I mean, it can really change the anatomy of the heart. And I like to add that that this accounts for about 17% of all sudden cardiac deaths in young people and athletes. The symptoms generally occur in early adolescence, are often uh, exercise-related, and the disease can certainly cause sudden death. Amy, did you have symptoms of right-sided heart failure, like swelling in the legs, uh, fatigue, or shortness of breath? You know, I, I, I never noticed it until, you know, around the time I went to the doctor, mm-hmm. um, that my shoes were tight when I put them on, yeah. things like that. You know, and again, you know, you're 24, if you give too much ice cream or something <laughs> now, I would notice it immediately. Right, right, exactly. How did you feel when you heard that you needed a heart transplant and that you would die without one? I was stunned. I was very, very upset, and I um, actually said no. Um, it was the news came to me in a, in a terrible way. They put me in the hospital, and I had an electrophysiology exam where they try to see if they can control the arrhythmia through medication. Right. They put a catheter in your heart. They uh, start an arrhythmia up, and then they give you IV medication to try and stop the arrhythmia, hoping they can identify a medication that will, will help you. Mm-hmm. Well, they started up an arrhythmia, and I was awake for this. They started up an arrhythmia. I went into a terrible arrhythmia. They couldn't stop it. Wow. And so I did flatline on the table, and they had trouble getting me back. I didn't defibrillate quickly. I, I suppose, quote-unquote, died on that table, mm-hmm. woke up, and there was my doctor, and there was my father, and the doctor took my hand and said, Amy, you're going to need a heart transplant. First time I ever heard heart transplant. Yeah. And I said, I won't do that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> right. And my father started to cry, oh. at which point I said, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, I couldn't stand that. So I felt with the first transplant that I had that I never made a choice, really, um, because it was sort of forced upon me in this moment of terrible stress with my father crying. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really didn't have much of a choice given the circumstances. Amy, were you like other patients with arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia in the type of symptoms that you presented with? Um, well, first of all, most of them don't wind up with transplants. Most can be controlled these days with, uh, with an implanted defibrillator mm-hmm. for safety and some medications. Um, I think eventually they all do have some arrhythmia problems, but mine became quite severe. My sister, as it turns out, started having symptoms as well, um, but she's in her 50s now and she's all right. She just takes some medication. So it can be severe, as mine was, or mild. Okay, so it can vary. We have to take a break. When we come back, we'll ask Amy how she was lucky enough to get a transplant just two months after she developed heart failure. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, a global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Visit TameThePain.com to learn about treatment options for chronic pain. 
Teva, a leading global pharmaceutical company committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. Millennium Health is a leading health solutions company that delivers accurate, timely, clinical actionable information to inform the right treatment decisions for each patient at the right time. Millennium offers a comprehensive suite of services to better tailor patient care. More information is available at www.millenniumhealth.com. My Life Patient Program and DC2 Healthcare, connecting patients to top physicians in the United States, reaching the highest standard of patient care through research patient programs and gains in overall health. For more information, please visit mylifepatientproject.com and dc2healthcare.com. Welcome back. We're here with Amy Silverstein, who at 24 was diagnosed with a fairly rare condition called arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia. She quickly found out that, that her heart was failing and without a transplant, she would die. Amy, how are you fortunate enough to be eligible for a heart transplant about two months after you developed heart failure? Um, well, I waited in the hospital for two months, so it's not like I was sick and then I just got it. And, but I was way up at the top of the list. You know, there are these lists, and they're very carefully run by UNOS, which is an arm of the um, Health and Human Services of the federal government. And mm-hmm. people think that, you know, you can pay some money and get an organ, or you, you know, uh, you know somebody, you can get an organ, and that's not the way it works at all. The sickest person on the list is first to get it, and I was dying. They were coming in with defibrillators twice a day. Wow. I mean, it was terrible. Yeah. And I was number one on the list for about two and a half months, but it took that long to find a heart that matched. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did get one, and it was uh, the heart of a 13-year-old girl who had died in a car accident in Michigan. While you were waiting uh, for the transplant in the hospital, were you petrified to do anything? I mean, like walk or become too emotional or even eat certain foods? Yes, my doctor was encouraging me to move my legs in bed, get up and walk, so that my muscles wouldn't atrophy, and I did that, and every time I would get out of bed, even to go to the bathroom, I would have a almost lethal arrhythmia attack, and so I just disobeyed, and I said, I'm not getting out of bed, and when I stopped getting out of bed, the episode sort of calmed down, so I had to, you know, disagree with my doctor there. I did pay the price afterward. I, I was atrophied, and it took me a while to get it back, but I did get my muscles back. Well, that's good, and uh, I mean, it's understandable why you disagree with your doctor at that point. For those who haven't experienced an arrhythmia, would you say that it's painful? They're not painful, no, but they're terrifying. Yeah. You know, you're not aware of your heartbeat, and it sort of feels like, um, uh, I don't know, it doesn't even feel like when you run and your heart is beating fast. It's just, it shocks you. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's very, um, it's a very ominous feeling in your chest. Yeah, exactly. You know, persistent chest wall pain is reported in about 28% of patients after cardiac surgery. Right. Did you have any uh, post-cardiac surgical pain in the chest? I have to say, Dr. Cristo, uh, I was not in pain at all. I had no pain. Um, I woke up nauseated on transplant medications, which are not fun. But I really did not have pain. That can that might be due to the fact that transplant patients are put on very high doses of steroids right. after surgery mm-hmm. and are tapered down quite slowly. And steroids, you know, not good for the body, but they make you feel good. <laughs> and um, I really was not in pain. I didn't wake up in pain from the surgery. Mm-hmm. You know, sore, you know, but not pain. Right. Well, no, that's great to hear. What did the doctors tell you about your life expectancy after the transplant? 
they said, and again, this is 26 years ago, although it's pretty much the same today, they said if I was very lucky, I, I might live uh, 10 years. Hmm, I mean, that's not very long at all. You know, it's not, and, and we say that as adults, but at the time, you know, when you're 24, oh, 10 years is forever, you know, to be 34, <laughs> that's an old woman, you know. <laughs> right, right. Um, so it didn't sound terrible to me. However, my boyfriend at the time, uh, who proposed to me while I was waiting in the hospital for the heart, mm-hmm. He was my same age and was marrying me, and I guess we settled into a life where he was going to have a wife for 10 years and then be a widow. Well, explain to me how this changed your life and your perspective as an ambitious 24-year-old. Um, it changed my life for the better in many ways. Let's start there. Okay. Um, because it showed me what I was made of. Mm-hmm. You don't know when you're made of at 24. Most of us don't. And who thought that I could take this on? and take it on with uh, a certain uh, vigor and uh, determination that I was going to beat this thing, Mm quote-unquote, you know, harder than anything I'd ever done, I rose up and and met this incredible challenge. It also made me really smart medical-wise, but there's also a satisfaction in mastering that as well. Absolutely. And Amy, I want to thank you so much for being here today on Aches and Gains. Thank you been nice to talk with you. Please join us for part four of the show when Amy talks about how she got through a second heart transplant, a diagnosis of breast cancer, and how she's sharing her extraordinary experience through her book called Sick Girl. After the break, Dr. Noelle Peterson joins us once again. She's a cardiologist and directs Women's Cardiovascular Services at East Carolina Heart Institute. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by The Pain Community, a web-based nonprofit created by people living with pain. Check out paincommunity.org for information, references, advocacy tools, and a premium section to securely interact with other members in forums and chat rooms. Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives, reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter or like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Noelle Peterson, cardiologist, who also directs Women's Cardiovascular Services at East Carolina Heart Institute. Dr. Peterson, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Thanks for having me. On a previous show, we talked about the importance of chewing aspirin if we feel like we're having a heart attack and also to call 911. Should we keep baby aspirin or aspirin on hand just in case we have chest pain uh, once we reach a certain age, for example? Um, It's definitely a great idea to keep it on hand because, like I said, if you are having the symptoms, you want to chew four of those baby aspirin. Mm -hmm. As far as taking it on a daily basis for prevention, that's a whole kind of another topic. But definitely keeping the baby aspirin in the house in case you need it is a great idea. Okay. Um, Men, definitely around... 55 or older, and females 65 or older, mm-hmm. or if females are postmenopausal. If you have a history of having premature coronary artery disease in the family, you know, I've had a lot of people whose fathers have had a heart attack at 40. I would bring it back to 40, make sure you have your aspirin on hand. Okay, great recommendations. Heart pain is considered visceral. Visceral pain is often hard to pinpoint. It's diffuse, and that makes it challenging to diagnose as well. It can also refer to other parts of the body. Uh, Referred pain means that a problem exists somewhere else in the body other than where you feel the pain, like like the shoulder, the neck, or the upper back. And Noelle, where does pain typically refer from the heart? Left arm is one of the common sites. Now, typically, if it's going down the arm, it usually tends to stop in the elbows and not go all the way down to the hands. Mm -hmm. 
And usually it's more of a pain or a heaviness or a dull ache, not so much the numbness and tingling. Another common place in females is in the scapulas or in between the scapula. Okay. Going up into the jaw or neck is another common one. And a lot of times all people just have elbow pain and sometimes even bilateral elbow pain. That's helpful information because patients who have disc herniation, for example, in their neck or have stenosis around the spinal cord in the neck or stenosis around a spinal nerve in the neck can experience shooting arm pain that often goes past the elbow. And by the way, stenosis means a narrowing or constriction, in this case, around the spinal cord or the spinal nerves. Dr. Peterson, how often do you see chronic chest wall pain following angina or infarction? On a pretty regular basis, um, we do see that. And sometimes, a lot of times people have just chest wall pain and microvascular disease, which is where the small arteries kind of have angina in them. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a lot more common in females because of endothelial dysfunction and the autonomic nervous system. Okay. Right now, it's kind of thought that women have it more because our arteries do tend to be smaller than male arteries, and then there's a lot of hormonal things that affect that endothelial dysfunction as well. Sure. Uh, An angina is chest pain or discomfort that occurs uh, in an area of your heart muscle that doesn't get enough oxygen-rich blood. And then an infarct is an area of heart tissue that uh, is dead. Does it seem then that angina or infarction poses a risk of developing continual chest wall pain? I guess it kind of depends on the patient. Most most people, if they're having angina because they have a blockage, mm-hmm. usually you go in, you fix the blockage, and they feel a lot better. The ones where it's a little bit more difficult is they might have had an infarction, and you go in and you look, and all the arteries look okay. A lot of times that's because either there was a small clot and, you know, with all the medications we flood into people when they come in with a heart attack, it breaks up that clot. Um, Or if they have the microvascular dysfunction, which is kind of where you have spasm of those little arteries, um, those are the people who tend to have more chronic pain. Okay, that's really helpful information. Let me switch gears now. Uh, Our previous guest, Amy, suffered from arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia. Do patients typically present like she did? Some people have the electrical system disturbances and will have sudden cardiac death. Mm-hmm. And usually some of the warning signs of that are the palpitations or people will have fainting spells. Okay. If it goes beyond that, people will start getting you know, right-sided heart failure. If it's not kind of caught before then, people could develop biventricular failure, which it sounds like what Amy had developed. Mm-hmm. Now, arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia is pretty rare, but dysrhythmias in general aren't that rare. And in women, the most common form is something called atrial fibrillation. The risk of atrial fibrillation increases as women get older, and it's also linked to conditions like hypertension and sleep apnea. And Dr. Peterson, do rhythm problems like atrial fibrillation or ventricular fibrillation, for example, lead to discomfort? A lot of the rhythm problems, if they cause tachycardia, where the heart rate is going fast Mm -hmm. that will cause chest pain and shortness of breath. Okay, well, is it difficult then to distinguish between angina or an infarct that causes chest pain compared to a dysrhythmia? Well, you know, it's easy if people feel that their heart is racing. Mm -hmm. When people don't feel that their heart is racing and they just have the chest pain and shortness of breath, that's a little bit harder. But usually the thing is, as soon as somebody gets to the emergency room and you do an EKG, you have your answer. Okay, that does make it a lot easier then. Some may wonder whether the wires of a cardiac pacemaker that deliver the shocks inside the heart cause chest pain. If 
does, when they get a shock, of course, it does cause a little bit of damage to the cardiac myocytes mm-hmm. where the shock is performed. Yeah. But the other outcome, if you don't get the shock, is sudden cardiac death. So. Right, exactly. I mean, I don't think many people would choose that option. What are some of the differences uh, with a transplanted heart like, like Amy had? Transplanted hearts tend to actually have the same risks as your original heart. Mm-hmm. Some transplants tend to run at lower heart rates. Some tend to be a little bit more prone to the rhythm disturbances. But one of the things we have to watch out for with transplanted hearts is where they sew in the coronary arteries, you're always at a risk for getting stenosis or narrowing in those areas. Uh-huh. So a little bit higher risk of having heart disease after having a transplant. And plus all the issues with the rejection and the transplant medication. Okay. Listen, Dr. Peterson, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Aches and Gains. Well, thank you so much for having me. There's much more from each of our guests on part four. Please join us. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.